It's quite the excitement around here yesterday in Phoenix, wasn't there? Even a little closer than in Phoenix here in uh, Scottsdale and Fountain Hills. Anyone try to go down Shea Boulevard this past uh, yesterday morning? Yeah, quite the crazy environment, the political environment. What happens when all these, these uh, high-powered presidential candidates, all of them coming through and being here, and, and, uh, and, and the city kind of becomes a buzz, right? And, and what we see with these candidates and, and even the potential for, for this divisiveness, right, that we're seeing and, and really, really strong opinions. Any of you have been on Facebook or social media lately, Twitter, any of those things? Everybody seems to be in agreement, right, with, uh, with how they feel about the candidates, no, no, it's uh, people have so many different views from anger to love to, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to take this world by storm and we're going to make America great or no, we're going to make America hate or what is it? What side are you on? And, and, and depending on how you view someone determines what your response is to that person. We saw that yesterday, even with Donald Trump coming through here, right? Thousands of people showing up, some to support, some to be uh, observers, others in protest, blocking the streets and, and saying, this is not what we want our country to be about. Who really is a person like Donald Trump or, or Hillary Clinton or Sanders or Cruz? Who are they? We have different opinions and different views. And, and what might their family members say? What might their mother say? You know, who knows? I mean, different perspectives, right, on these people. But how we view them and how we understand who they are really changes the way that we react to them and maybe and uh, follow through on that, especially as it comes to voting. Now, there's another uh, day, another time. We're celebrating Palm Sunday today, but you know what? It was also a very politically charged environment. Think about that Sunday, Palm Sunday. And, and why is it called Palm Sunday? Because people took palm branches and laid them at the feet of Jesus when he entered into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city, right, of, of the time there. And in this capital, this was a big deal. Jesus was coming into town, the candidate for king, right? They wanted to make him king. He wasn't king. He wasn't the ruler there. But he came into this highly charged political environment to see what's going to happen. And some people loved him. They were shouting, Hosanna, this is the king. They were laying down their coats. They were putting down palm branches. And Jesus came riding in. But off on the sidelines in this politically charged environment, there were people plotting to kill him. There were people trying to, to get the best of Jesus. There was, there was political tension with, think about Caesar on the throne, who was considered to be a god. And then locally, King Herod was reigning over this region that, was, that, that Jerusalem was a part of. And then overseeing this area of Jerusalem, the city itself, was Pilate. And along with that were the high priests, and there were the Sadducees, and there were the, there were the, uh, the Pharisees, who had different agreement, disagreements and, and thought how things should be. And here comes Jesus into this environment. Again, some thought he was going to make Jerusalem great again. Now, come on, that's just funny. <laughs> you guys are slow. You guys are slow. He's going to make Jerusalem great again. All right? And, and <laughs> that, that was slow on that one, right? All right, all right. You'll pick up on that one. I'll, I'll, I'll give second service a little forewarning on that. All right. He's going to come make Jerusalem great again. And others think he's going to destroy everything we know. Right? And so, it, who is this guy? But he didn't come in with black SUVs and an entourage and a private plane. You know how he came running in? On a donkey. Humble. And you know what? He wasn't going to be defined what, by what other people said who he is. He had an agenda different than what everyone else thought, even on both sides of the equation. But it was very important for us to understand and for people to understand, who is this Jesus? And even today, Jesus still sparks this, this tension 
when we begin to speak the name of Jesus, when we talk about God in general, religion and spiritual life and faith, that's okay. But you start talking about Jesus, even today, in your workplace, in the schools, in government, in the public square, it starts creating a little bit of division, a lot of division, some uncomfort and some discomfort. So into this environment, Jesus came. But the core of this understanding is who is Jesus? Who is he really? And so today, we're going to look at a foundational question. We're looking at the series, Questions Jesus Asked. That the, and, and part of the premise of the series is that Jesus asked a whole lot more questions right? Then, then he made all these statements or then questions were, were asked of him. He asked questions because he wanted to do some thought-provoking, faith-stimulating kinds of questions that would draw us into relationship, that would grow our learning, that would deepen us in our understanding of who he is and what life is about. And today's question does exactly that. Actually, today we're going to look at two questions, one easy and one hard. But the question that we're ultimately going to look at is this. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am. Who do you say that I am? We're going to get into God's word and look at the story where this takes place and see what the implications are for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer and then we'll continue. Heavenly Father, we wrestle with these questions that hundreds, thousands of years later still have implications for our lives. And Father, today we just ask you to open our hearts with these penetrating questions that we would really seek our hearts and our souls because you're still asking those questions of us today. And Father, how we respond matters, and it makes a difference. God, open our eyes, open our hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be looking at a passage out of Matthew chapter 16 where this takes place. Matthew 16. Now, let me set you a little bit of context to this passage. Jesus has been followed around by crowds. Now, this takes place before Palm Sunday, and this is a scene where he's with his disciples. And, and many times people you know, followed around Jesus, the crowds were all around him. But it looks like in this instance he was leaving some of the crowds, and he was approaching a city called Caesarea Philippi. And, and I don't know the city, I haven't been there, but as I've studied about it and, and read about it, there's some unique things about this city. And as, as they're approaching this city, there's something about this city that stands out from other cities. And that's the fact that of one of, it's one of two places that's known in, in, the, in the area there where this city is built up on a rock. It's built up about a 100-foot wall of rock. And, and so you could see the city as you were approaching it from the distance. So you can imagine the disciples and Jesus, they're walking on the road to Caesarea Philippi, and there they stop and have this conversation. Now, what you need to know about the city, too, if you think about the name Caesarea, think about Caesar, right? It was named after the ruler, after the gods that were considered lords. But not only that, the city was also known to be a place of worship for many other gods. Given this unique location on this rock, lifted up high, temples were built. And even on the sides of this rock, there were these outcarvings where statues were placed of different gods. And so it was considered a holy place for all these other gods and these other religions. One of those was the god named Pan, from which we get the word panic. He was a frightful figure, half man, half god. But he was the one that was worshipped. There was actually this grotto where, where this, this, in this cave, and they would, even hundreds of years before Christ, they would throw sacrifices in there to the, to the god Pan. And so you can see in this environment, there was a highly spiritualized environment where people were worshipping different gods and thinking about that on a regular basis. So in this context, as Jesus arrives with his disciples, 
You can imagine them kind of coming off to the side a little bit. Maybe they take a little break. And then in Matthew chapter 16, 13 and 14, we read this as we begin this passage. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? So that's our first question. Who do the people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So it's an interesting question here. Jesus is asking the disciples, you know, in a sense what he's really saying, what's the word on the street about me, boys? <laughs> what are people saying? I mean, what do you hear? What, what, what's kind of the, the going on out there? And, and the things that they list there I find interesting is that people are saying he's John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or another prophet. Obviously, people think there's something special about Jesus because these people are dead, right? And so somehow they realize there's something supernatural, there's something about this guy. But as Jewish tradition teaches, these were all forebears for the Messiah. They were all pointing to the Messiah that would come. And so they don't embrace him as the Messiah. Messiah means the Savior, the anointed one, the Christ, the one that would redeem, the one that would restore. They weren't saying that. They were still saying that he's in the category of somebody who might show us the way to him, maybe a good teacher, maybe somebody like a good prophet. So really, you know, it's, it's an easy question, and it's an easy answer because you can just poll people even today. It's an easy question, easy answer. If we were to say, who do people say that Jesus is? Here, let's just, let's just practice right now. Throw out a few things. If you ask the public, public square, what would some people say who Jesus is? Some would say son of God, great teacher. Yeah, exactly. Yep, I'm with you. So whatever you said, that's what people are saying. Um, I, did a little, <laughs> I did a little research, too, and I figured the, uh, the, the, the Internet is always a great place to see what people maybe think about Jesus uh, through images. So maybe this is how people see Jesus, right? Glowing heart Jesus, right? Meek, mild. This is an image that some people have of Jesus, but people have other images as well. You like that one? Right? You've heard it, right? Jesus is my homeboy, right? Is that Jesus? All right, what else? Who else is Jesus? Jesus is my valentine. Isn't that great? And by the way... We just celebrate that one of our staff members, our communications director, Stephen Sims, he got engaged yesterday. Stephen's back there running our streaming. Congratulations, Stephen. So Jesus can still be your valentine, but we're happy that Abby has, uh, she said yes, right? Okay, just making sure. All right, very good. All right, what else we got going on here? We've got, oh, Jesus for president. Very fitting, right? Advocating for change since 33 AD. All right, what else have we, we got here? Jesus is my co-pilot. I mean, that's been around for a long time. Some of you need to make him your pilot. Um, all right, what else, what else we got here? Hipster Jesus. Yeah, that's, you know, you just add the scarf and the glasses. He's already got the beard and the long hair. It's all good. Uh, and finally, I like this one. Jesus the fresh maker, right? You never know when you need some Mentos. But different views, different opinions of who Jesus is. But who is he really? Was he a religious guy that started Christianity? Was a moral teacher? Or was he somebody that pulled off the greatest hoax ever? But then, see, Jesus transitions to a deeper question. That was kind of just a warm-up question. He lobs it out there, gets them all talking a little bit. Then he comes with this hammer of a question. Matthew 16, verse 15. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? All of a sudden, you can see the buzz of the disciples maybe piping down a little bit like, you answer that one. Huh? You, you take this one, Peter. How about John? You, you take this one. Uh, I mean, this is kind of, this is personal. And, and, and when Jesus is asking, you, you don't really want to get this one wrong, right? 
And, and so they're thinking through, and, and the disciples got, got silent because now it wasn't just a matter of what's everyone's opinion. This is like, what do you say? Who do you say that? And this is a personal thing. Now, they've spent years with Jesus. They've walked with him, and now, now Jesus is asking them, okay, they're saying I'm a prophet who's pointing the way to the Messiah and all these things. Do you get who I am? And when you think about this, it's one of those moments where maybe it's like when, when you, your kids get to that age, maybe you've, you've, you've let them, you know, enjoy the, the, the Santa Claus um, tradition of Christmas, and they come to you at one point and say, Mom, Dad, is Santa Claus real? And they ask you that question. And you're going, you take this one, hon. You take this one, hon. How are you going to answer this? What are you going to do? Um, and so how do you handle those situations? And the disciples are looking at each other, wondering, what do we do? Because how we answer... And how they were going to answer has huge implications. The way you answer, as you're sitting here, if we would poll everybody, all of our different answers and responses, how we answer has huge implications because it changes the way that you approach your life. Now, I think that there's a power in this because Jesus now isn't just saying, this isn't one of those rhetorical questions that Jesus asked where he just wants you to kind of think the answer is obvious. We've looked at some of those. Jesus is really looking for an answer here. He's really wanting to hear. He's wanting to know what's in our hearts And what we see here is, is what's in our heart different than what's being spoken? Or how do those two things connect, our heart versus what's out loud? Now, now, um, it's not that they didn't know that Jesus was who he said he was. I mean, think about it. They spent lots of time with him. They saw him do miracles and healings and feeding, and and he taught them many things. He told them about who he was. So it seems like they, they, they knew those very things. But believing or knowing something in our heart versus actually speaking it out, and living on that principle is very different, isn't it? And so this, this question comes and the story hangs out there because how I answer, how I respond is going to make a big difference. Now, it was about, um, oh gosh, what, about 19, approaching 19 years ago or so um, that, that uh, I remember being on a date with Shannon. We'd, been, uh, we'd, been, we'd, we'd known each other for a little while and, and uh, you know, went, came back to college, uh, school, and we went on a date and... And I remember we were out somewhere or in the evening. See, I'm, I'm probably messing it up here. You'll, you'll straighten me out on this. But what I do remember is in a very tender moment, she said, whispered in my ear, she said, I love you. Oh. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, right? But <laughs> in that moment, I kind of froze. I kind of did, I think, what the disciples did because, honestly, I wasn't ready to say those words yet. And so I, I, I said, uh, I think I said, thank you. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, you, I got, just give, give me a little bit of credit here. I had made a decision that I wasn't going to use those words lightly. And not that she was using them lightly, but for me, I had said that to some other girls before that I had dated. And I didn't end up marrying them. But I wanted that to mean something different for my future spouse. And I was going to hold on to that until I was ready to commit. It only took me another 12 months. But I got there. <laughs> Um, and on our one-year anniversary, was it a little less? Oh, she says six. Okay, good. Not quite that bad. See, she's my memory. Um, but in that moment, I took the time, and I really thought that through. Um, and when I knew this is what I wanted to say to her, and that I felt that she was really the girl for me for the, my future, even though we didn't get engaged at that time yet, I said those words, and, and I meant them. And six months later after that, we, we were married. And, uh, but I understand, because feeling something in your heart, did I love her? Did I feel love? Of course. But boy, when you begin to voice something like that, 
when you begin to voice how you feel about Jesus and what he means to you in your life, it changes something. And so many of us, we just kind of hold that in for ourselves. Now, Peter mustered that courage, and he spoke out loud. And here's what he said in, in, in verse 16. Of all of them, Peter steps up, and he says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. Messiah and Christ are the same word in two different, in Greek and in Hebrew, just in case you wonder. It's the same thing. You are the Christ. You are the king. You are really the son of God. You are God because that sonship meant you were God. And so he declared this out loud, and the implications were huge. Because if this is true, and he just spoke this out, it changes everything. This declaration, Peter's saying, man, you're, you're the Messiah, and, and I'm with you, and, and, and this is going to change everything. But if this is false, or if this is not true, he could be killed for blasphemy. He could be stoned to death. And so this wasn't just something to be, light, to be taken lightly to speak this out. He knew that the implications were huge. And today, the implications are still huge, as I said earlier. And so we say things like, I'm spiritual. And it's okay to say, I go to church. And, and, and you know, we, we do some religious things. But when do you speak about your faith? Why do you speak of a higher power instead of saying, God? Jesus in my life? Why do you speak about there's a good energy and there's, there's a great spirit that we're saying the Holy Spirit is alive and real and he's moving. There's power when we speak those things out loud and draw the line in the sand. And to that response, now all the other disciples were like now looking like, did you get it right? Like, are, are we good here? Because I want to know. And then Jesus speaks this blessing. He's not spoken a blessing like this on anyone else, but upon this first declaration, he says this in verse 17. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Jesus blessed Peter personally. And when we come to this truth, when we come to this realization that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the Christ, the one that is the leader, the ruler, the Messiah, the Savior of the world and of our lives, we are blessed because of that. The blessings begin to come. And he was the first that voiced this truth. But what's so powerful in this statement is Jesus reminds them, your heavenly Father revealed this to you. When God reveals that in your spirit, when you begin to feel that in your gut, when you've maybe been exploring the faith, or you've been walking alongside the church, or maybe in your family, but it's been kind of at arm's length, but all of a sudden it gets deeper, and you're starting to feel it in your soul, and, and it's God revealing himself to you. And you're kind of going, I think, I think he really is the Christ. I think he really is the Messiah. How do you respond to that? How do you speak that out? Because when you do, when you declare that, God blesses that. God begins to honor that, and because you begin to change the direction and the way that you are living. So Jesus is still asking us that question today. And that question still hangs out there in a room like this. When we say, hey, who do people say I am? We all begin to respond. But when I say, who do you say that Jesus is? How do you respond to that? No one can answer that question for you. Each of us is accountable for how we respond to Jesus' question. You see, at some point, anyone who would become a follower of Jesus would have to voice this reality, would have to voice this truth out loud. So many of us, we just hold it in our heart because it's not acceptable, you know, to speak about those things publicly. You believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, I'm not going to share it, I'm not going to say it, and so I keep it inside. And even in the church, again, we maybe just kind of like, I kind of, I believe it, I'm here, it's a part of what I do, but when have you spoken it? The power of speaking that out. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. 
Here's Paul speaking and teaching to the believers in Rome, to the church in Rome, and here's what he's saying to them. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And yet we realize there's a tension here because if, if I don't voice it, if I don't say it, well, then I can maybe, my, I have my doubts, I have my challenges, and maybe then I feel pretty good, and, and I'll go to church, and then I won't go to church for a long time, and, and then maybe, I'll, you know, we'll do Easter, we'll do some, some of those religious things, and if it's in here, God's working, God's using that, but there's a power when you speak it out and you declare it publicly because that's what connects us as the church. That's what connects us as a community, our shared belief, our shared accountability. The thing that we say, we gather because Christ is at the center. That's what makes us a church. That's what makes us a community. And I want to be a part of that. And every believer who has ever lived, who has followed Christ at some point, verbalizes that, speaks that out, that confession. And it has a power for you to put your line in the sand to say, I am here. Some of you dads, your kids need to hear you say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Moms, you need to tell your kids, he died for our sins. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus. And Easter is not just a little tradition with baskets and things we do, and we just go to church because we want to show off a nice new dress and, and have a nice day. We go to church because this is the day we celebrate that there is new life and resurrection power in the God that I believe in, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins. And you know what? He's still alive. He rose again. He's still alive. His spirit is still moving among us, and his spirit is still transforming me and our family, and I want you to know that. But maybe all of you, some of you say is just go to church, kids. Yeah, we believe in God. Say it in different ways. There's a power in it because it puts you and it helps you draw a line in the sand. Listen to this quote from, from Martin Copenhaver. He says, we may hesitate, not because we doubt the words are true, but because having spoken the truth, we can no longer ignore its implications in our lives. The power of speaking the truth, the power of declaring, the power of what Peter did in that moment. So two steps maybe for you today or two ways that you could respond today. Some of you have never declared that truth openly, and God has revealed it to you. You spoke it at your heart, but something's holding you back from declaring that out loud. And maybe today is the day you declare it out loud. You come, you tell me. Maybe you write it on the cross on afterward as we're praying. You tell somebody else and say, you know what? I am taking my step today, my stance today. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And you draw that line in the sand. You speak it out loud. I guarantee you it's a life-changing trajectory, that moment that you speak that out. And another way that Christians and believers have done it throughout the centuries, we talk about going public. What is it? Baptism. Baptism, it's not an easy way to hide what's in your heart when we get a big old tub out here with, filled with gallons and gallons of water, and you get up in front of everyone and say, I believe in Jesus, and we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and we raise you up to new life to declare that you are now a part of what God has been doing. You believe and you are baptized. We have a baptism coming up in just a few weeks on April 10th, and some of you, you need to take that step to say, I'm going to publicly declare what I believe in my heart. Because there's power in that. There's power for me. There's power for my community, for my friends, my family. And there's power for us as a church when we declare those truths together. Jesus finishes here. After he says this to Peter, he goes on in verse 18 and he says this. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And looking on Caesarea Philippi, on that 100-foot rock that was there, 
with all the gods and all the deities and all the confusion and all the craziness there, he looks to, some, to Peter and says, and you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Is it, is it Peter? Yeah, Peter, he's going to use Peter in a big way. But what is the rock that he is building on? It's the declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And if we build our lives, if we build our church on that rock, we don't build it on Mark Krenz or Matt Anderson or Don Doe or Joe Webb or Cameron Lippert or you or board members. We build on the rock of Jesus Christ. And when we build on that rock, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And our job as a church is to declare this truth because there is power in no other name than the name of Jesus. And we have the biggest opportunity that the church has on any given year, and it's Easter Sunday. And it's coming this Sunday. Will you take a step to declare out loud and maybe just even muster a little bit of courage and say, hey, would you come to Easter with me? If you're not going anywhere, I'd love to take you. Come, let's sit together. What service do you want to go to? And we can declare the truth of Christ together because there's power in that. This morning, as we close, we're singing a song called Awakening, Awake My Soul. And I wonder if today for some of you is your day of awakening a day where you will celebrate Easter a whole new way next week because of the awakening that you have had in your soul, where Jesus has opened up and revealed his truths to you. And you declare that, and you build your life on that. Let's stand together, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, powerful questions that ask us to answer some hard truths and face some truths in our lives. Father, if we've been silent, if we've been shy, if we've been timid, We've been unsure. God, may your Holy Spirit reveal the truth of this simple yet life-changing statement that you are the Messiah. You are our Savior. You are the Lord, the Son of God. And Father, may we as a church declare that in a loving and kind way that shows the world the difference that it makes when your Spirit moves us and stirs in us and the grace that flows through us because of your grace and love for us. Father, as we enter this holy week, may this truth just, just, just penetrate our hearts deeply. And Father, may we experience awakening this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.